When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 283 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are diving real darn deep into the problems with the fashion industry right this second, as well as potential solutions. Now, I should say right off the bat that this is an episode for the intermediates or perhaps even for the advanced listeners who have been tuning in for a while. This episode goes so much deeper than suggesting that you prioritize natural fibers in your closet. We are getting down and dirty today. So if you're just tuning in for the first time, buckle up. Today I'm speaking with Elizabeth Joy. Elizabeth is the founder of ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com. She is also the voice behind the Conscious Style podcast. And I want to waste no time today because Elizabeth has such a depth and breadth of knowledge that she's here to impart on us. Elizabeth, I'm thrilled to talk to you. Let's get right into it. Tell us who you are, how you found yourself interested in all things fashion, and let's infuse a bit of fun and spontaneity into this episode, into our talk. So tell us that, but also tell us what on earth is your biggest guilty pleasure? Oh, so much there. I think it starts from when I was just a child. I've always been interested in fashion. I had these like fashion designer video games. And then when I grew up, I was reading Teen Vogue and I had like Teen Vogue's Guide to a Career in Fashion. But then in high school, I started to realize how it was at odds with my other passions for sustainability and my interest in human rights. It was in 2013. So I was in high school at that time when I heard about the Rana Plaza factory collapse, where over a thousand garment workers were killed when a factory cracked and collapsed. So that was really (laughs) motivating to me to figure out how I can engage in fashion in a better way. I eventually created a blog in order to get an internship at a fair trade fashion brand. That blog is ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com. So it's the same URL that it is today. But yeah, my approach has totally shifted. Before it was just like focused entirely on brands. And while I still love to curate brand guides, my content is a lot more educational now. And my guilty pleasure. Oh my gosh. Probably stupid romance novels. (laughs) I read like the entire Bridgerton series plus the prequel. And yeah, no shame. (laughs) 
I haven't read the books, but I have seen seasons one and two, and it's really good. (laughs) The books are even better, I personally, I I think. (laughs) So you mentioned that the fashion industry wasn't aligned with your environmental principles. What are fashion brands doing wrong in 2022, in your opinion? Oh, man, that is a big question. (laughs) Yeah, we know there is a lot of greenwashing happening in fashion. I think fashion brands are, in terms of big fashion, focusing way too much on just like the material that you're they're using. It's re- recycled, organic, whatever, and that's enough for them to be calling it sustainable. Fabric is just one piece of a very complicated puzzle. We never ever hear big fashion brands talking about what they're paying their garment workers, for instance. It doesn't matter how eco-friendly that fabric is. If it was made in a sweatshop, I can't call that sustainable. People are part of the environment. Like human beings are part of our world. Like we have to consider the conditions in which that clothing was made as well. And secondly, we never see big fashion brands talking about the scale of production. You know, it doesn't matter how many of your clothes are made from recycled materials if you're still overproducing and pushing overconsumption because as I like to say, even if you're reducing the impact of that garment, let's say, you know, reducing the water impact or the carbon footprint by 20%, let's say, if you're still increasing production, the overall footprint is still getting worse. We have to look at the total. And some of the biggest fast fashion brands are proclaiming that they are reducing the per garment impact, basically, but they're still increasing the production. And so overall, their carbon emissions would still be going up. We really have to be thinking about reducing production as well. In no world will single-use fashion where just buying an outfit for one occasion and even if you're donating after, that's not a sustainable fashion future. Like we have to be wearing what we have more. Brands have to be making less, fewer, better things. It's not sustainable if it was made cheaply and it's going to fall apart after two wears. No matter what material it's made of, if it only lasts two uses, that's not sustainable. Yeah, I think there's something fundamentally flawed with creating, let's just say, 10,000 of the same shirt. If you only have 2,000, maybe 200 people who are going to buy it, that inherently is wasteful. So I want to talk to you more about the made-to-order movement in a little bit. But the antidote, the solution to the unsustainable fashion industry tends to be something that I've heard on your platform, something that I've heard on many other fashion forward platforms, which is circular fashion. Tell us for anybody who's just turning into this podcast, doesn't know what circularity means, what is circular fashion and what are the principles of it? Yeah. So I listened to the founders of Thousandfell, a recycling sneaker brand, speak at the Sustainable Fashion Forum. And one of them said something so smart. You know, I want to credit them because it wasn't my idea. But they said, a singular fashion brand at this point with current infrastructure cannot be circular because you can't be circular alone. You can't have a singular circular garment circularity is like an entire system so building a circular fashion industry really will take all stakeholders so i just want to preface that 
Okay. So the four sort of steps as I think about circular fashion are one, produce and buy less. So that's the brands producing less and making fewer, better things. And us as consumers also buying fewer, better things, really thinking through what we're purchasing. And the second step is to design out waste and design with the end in mind. So this is more from like the designers and the brand perspective. So designing in a way that limits textile waste. So trying to order the amount of textiles close to what you need, designing in a way that makes use of as much textiles as possible, maybe reusing like upcycling things, using a major order model perhaps. And then also designing with the end in mind. So not only designing for durability, which is incredibly important, designing for quality, but also what is going to happen to that garment once the person is done wearing it? Is it recyclable? Is it compostable? Do you have a take-back program and repair program? Things like that. And then the third step is to extend a garment's life as long as possible. I would say that this is one of the most common ones in the slow fashion movement. We talk about repair, we talk about mending, we talk about re-wearing, swapping, shopping secondhand, borrowing, maybe renting, loaning, all those things. That's all examples of how we can extend a garment's life. So that is huge and is a big part of the puzzle because no matter how high quality a brand makes a product, if we're not using it to its maximum lifespan, it doesn't matter. It doesn't add up to the circular system. And then the fourth step I would say is to manage the garments quote unquote end of life. And, and I hate this like end of life term because I don't think it has to be the end. That's why I'm quoting end. But basically, what do we do with the garment after somebody is done wearing it? This is where we see a lot of fashion brands talking about their circular strategies. They're talking a lot about Textile recycling, for example. I think it's important to remember that's not the only solution for a garment's end of life. We also can think about upcycling. We can think about mending and repair to resell. Like sometimes it might be a little bit more of an intensive project to mend that piece and then it can still be resold. I think upcycling is always preferred over recycling. And then another way to manage the end of life that also like never gets talked about is making clothing compostable and then composting it at the end of its life. And there really aren't many brands doing this. California Cloth Foundry is one that I know and love that does make compostable clothing. And I would love to see more of that. That is such a comprehensive answer, Elizabeth. And what I hear you saying is that we are all responsible for creating and maintaining a circular fashion industry, the consumers, the manufacturers, the designers, the people we elect to lead our countries and everybody in between. But I wonder though, I just had an interview with Alyssa Couture and she made the statement that shocked me that 90% of clothing in the market currently is made of synthetics, fossil fuels based synthetics. And so where do synthetics fall into this conversation? Can synthetic fabrics be part of a circular fashion economy? And if so, how? 
Yes, synthetics are a huge part of the fashion industry today. And I have not heard that 90% number, though. I have seen 60 and 70%, but it's been rapidly increasing. So I guess it wouldn't completely shock me if we were at 90%. But yeah, the latest numbers I've seen are 70%, which is still quite high. But I would say I have two answers, sort of like a, a realistic answer and then like a dream answer. So I'll start with the dream answer, which is no, synthetics are not really part of a truly circular economy. If we consider that circularity means not polluting, because I don't think anyone has figured out how to create synthetic fabrics or recycle synthetic fabrics without it being a potentially toxic process. So for instance, We know that synthetics cause microplastics to be released. When we wash synthetics in our washing machines, the microplastics get released, end up in our oceans. But microplastics also get released during production. How do you recycle synthetics without releasing microplastics into the environment? And then once you have the recycled synthetics into the everyday person's hands, how do you prevent those microplastics from being released when they're washing their clothes? We have microplastic bags and... That's incredible. I use them. I know many people do, but certainly you're not going to get everybody to use them. So uh, we're still losing things along the way. And so how is that part of a circular system when we're still polluting and releasing microplastics into the system? And then secondarily, most recycled synthetics are not from polyester garments. Like they're not recycling directly within the fashion system. They're recycling plastic bottles and turning them into fabric. So we're not really achieving circularity within the fashion system. We're not taking used polyester garments and recycling that into another recycled polyester garment. We're taking plastic water bottles. So it's not really circular within the same system. And there's been a lot reported about basically there isn't enough recycled plastic bottles to meet the industry demand. And there's been a lot of fraud. Basically, there have been investigations finding that a lot of the recycled polyester claims are not even truly recycled um, because there is a lot of greenwashing in that area. And there's a lot of fraud because it's a very, it sounds really nice and it sounds really good and brands really want to sound eco-friendly. And so the demand is really rising and there's not enough to meet that demand. So that all to say, recycled synthetics right now, not at all solution. I was excited about something like that five years ago, but I think that we know more now and it's time to think about something more strategic. So that's like my dream answer is no, synthetics are not part of the circular equation. But my realistic answer is that I guess maybe it's marginally better than extracting new fossil fuels, you know, assuming that it's not fraudulently claims and they really are recycled materials. It's not a great solution by any means, but maybe it's marginally better. Yeah, I'm thinking about it's summer here in my neck of the woods, and I'm definitely not going to, for everybody else's benefit, I'm not going to wear a bathing suit made of a natural fiber to the pool. And so then if I'm going to buy a synthetic-based bathing suit, I guess it is potentially marginally better to (laughs) buy a plastic bottle-based swimsuit that's also synthetic than 
a new fossil fuels created bathing suit. Also, a lot of swimsuits are made from Econile, which I would say is, at least from what I know, information can always change. It is better. They're recycling plastic waste from ocean. So they're like taking fishing nets and plastic waste that has already made into the oceans, recovering it and turning it into the fabric. So it is truly waste that is polluting our environments. And there also are brands that are super rigorous about vetting where their recycled plastic comes from, which I think is also better. And there isn't really, yeah, there isn't really a comparable solution for swimwear yet or, or activewear. There's starting to be some solutions like Tencel. I know some brands are using, although that comes with its own problems because you have to cut down trees to get materials like Tencel that are that are wood-based. Yeah, I think it all comes down to like fewer, better things. Fabric is part of the solution, but like at the end of the day, what you're going to wear and like wear and wear and wear again that's like the best thing is just to be buying less because every single fabric has some sort of impact. (laughs) Elizabeth, we're going to talk about greenwashing. We're going to talk about what you and I and my listeners can do better. We're going to get into all of that. And there's so much to get into (laughs) after a quick word from this week's sponsor. And we're back with Elizabeth Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Joy. She is a podcaster. She is the host of the Conscious Style Podcast. She's also the founder of ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com. Elizabeth, before the break, we were discussing, or actually you were discussing, and you brought up greenwashing in the fashion industry. And I do feel 
as a consumer as though the marketing giants behind these fashion brands, they have their finger on the pulse. They know that consumers are getting a little bit more aware of (laughs) their egregious, for lack of a better word, policies and actions. And so they're changing their marketing. They're not necessarily changing their behind the scenes, but they are changing their marketing to keep up their bottom line. So can you talk to me a little bit more about greenwashing in the fashion industry? Is it as rampant as I think it is? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, I think it's probably even worse than we think it is. Yeah, as you said, there's just an increasing awareness around sustainability and there's all these polls showing that people want to spend their money with companies that are doing things better and are doing things sustainably. So, of course, a company is going to jump on that because they don't want to lose that money. But what are they really doing? And can we trust what they say that they're doing? Or are there some details that they're leaving out? First and foremost, I would just say that if you've fallen into greenwashing or if you're confused by it, like that is, there's no shame in that. It's very confusing. I have been in the sustainable fashion space for six years and still I'm like, is this greenwashing or is this sustainable? Or was this claim real? And it's challenging because the industry is just so opaque. We, we can't even verify these claims even if we tried. But basically over the years, I've learned to not trust really almost any claim from a big fashion brand. That isn't to say that there aren't individual people at these brands working their very best to improve the system. Absolutely. I think that they are making some genuine efforts. But I think overall, most of these companies have profits prioritized over people and the planet. And at the end of the day, most of them are still overproducing and are still not paying living wages to their workers. They're doing what sounds good and what looks good, but they're not necessarily doing the real work. For instance, I think that, and I'll bring this back to circular fashion in a moment, but one of the biggest greenwashing schemes that we see is brands claiming that they are carbon neutral or reducing emissions by 50% or whatever. And it turns out that they're just buying carbon offsets, which offsets are part of the perhaps a strategy. But if that's all that you're doing, that's not really enough to say you're carbon neutral. You're offsetting your footprint. So I think there's a really key distinction between saying we are offsetting our carbon footprint versus saying we are carbon neutral, if that makes sense. So that's an example. But coming back to circular fashion and like some of the greenwashing I see with that, as I was saying before, like textile recycling is a lot of what these big brands want to talk about. But the reality is that the infrastructure is really in its infant stages and they're not really able to recycle as much as they (laughs) claim to be able to. And then secondly, Fast fashion brands take back programs. This is also one of their circularity initiatives, but that is just complete greenwashing because I have yet to find a fast fashion brand that is actually telling us where these clothes are going. They might vaguely say, oh, they're getting like reused or recycled or whatever, but 
where are they getting reused? Where are they getting recycled? What is your definition of recycling? Because we know as a whole in the United States, when we, for instance, donate clothing to a Goodwill or Salvation Army down the street, only 10 to 20% of that is getting sold in those specific charity stores. And that number has probably even gone down since those numbers were reported. And the rest is either getting shipped off to somewhere else, which is often the global south, or it is getting downcycled into like rags or insulation, which maybe that's all the textile is good for, but maybe not. Maybe it could have been used for a higher end recycling, or it really is just getting discarded. And even what is getting shipped off elsewhere might be ending up in landfills as well. Or most likely a big percentage of it, I should say, is ending up in landfills. Like the Orr Foundation is an organization based in Ghana that has done a lot of research and they found that 40% of what's being shipped to Ghana from the global north, from the US, Canada, countries in Europe, 40% of that is headed straight to the landfill. So where is this where are all these clothes going? from the take back programs. And I think that we can really see the intentions behind these take back programs with campaigns, bring your old clothes in and get 20% off your next purchase. They want people to clear out their closet so that they buy more stuff. They're not altruistic. Again, it's about profits more than it actually is about people and planet. But yeah, they just have these take back programs and recycling programs to convince people to buy more, which is not the point of circularity. You bring up the point that I beat into my listeners' heads every week, which is that it's profit above all else. How easy is it for a fast fashion brand to stick a box? How cheap is it? That would be a better way to say it. How cheap is it for a brand to stick a box in their store and put a sign on it that says, recycle here, you recycle, you get 20% off your next purchase. It's easy, but it's also a method of garnering more sales. It's much harder for that same brand to change things at the factory level or at the harvesting level, if we're even harvesting a renewable resource. And so I would say that greenwashing can be quite in your face as the, that example that you just aptly gave. But I can also say too, I was sitting, I was sitting at my counter drinking my coffee on Saturday morning, reading the paper, feeling so good about myself when I came across an article in the New York Times about the Higgs index. And if you don't know what this is, listeners, don't worry. I didn't know what it was either. But it's basically a system that was created by retailers to rank the environmental impact of clothes. It's the Higgs Index. If you do more research into the Higgs Index and what it finds, you will learn that this index rates polyester, so a synthetic fiber made from fossil fuels, as one of the world's most sustainable fabrics. So think about that for a second. That is crazy. I talk a lot on this podcast about your spidey sense. If your spidey sense goes off, if something doesn't seem right, it might not be. Okay, so back to the Higgs index. The Higgs index, again, says that polyester is more sustainable based on its rating scale than renewable fibers, natural fibers, cotton, linen, hemp, etc. But if you do a little bit more digging, you will find that a lot of the people on the Higgs board 
are fast fashion brands. H&M is one of them. These fast fashion brands that mainly use polyester in their clothing. And so greenwashing can be, my point here is greenwashing can be a box in a store, but it can also be so much more pervasive in the creation of a quote unquote third party rating scale. And so I guess that brings me to my most important question for you today, Elizabeth, which is amidst all the greenwashing, amidst all the changing marketing terms, but not changing actual practices, what can you and I do in a consumerist society that really just entices us to buy more at the start of the next fashion season? Yeah. That's a lot. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's an important question. It's a big question, but it's a super important question. And I think that yeah, we know that brand and brands individual claims are often just greenwashing. You know, speaking of big fashion with a capital B, capital F, I think that small brands are totally different. Like small, slow fashion brands are operating in a totally different space. But when it comes to big fashion, individual claims, we know it's often greenwashing. But then as you were talking about with the Higgs index, like these so-called third party groups that we think are unbiased, we think they're objective. They're still really not because they're industry powered most of the time. The most pervasive part of that is that even really well-intentioned brands, well-intentioned designers, whatever, are looking to resources like that. These people want to genuinely maybe be more sustainable. And then they look to something like the Higgs Index and they see that, huh, okay, polyester is more sustainable than um, cotton. I don't know if they say that specifically, but let's say, or wool or whatever the material is. And so they say, okay, let's choose polyester. So brands claims, can't really trust it. These third-party verifications often can't really trust those either. You at least have to do a lot of deeper research. So I think we're really left with, can we develop regulatory bodies that help us navigate through all of this? Like the nutrition facts label, on our food that tells us how much sugar is in it, what every single ingredient is in there, how many calories, whatever, how much saturated fat used to be trans fat in food. You know, obviously the food industry is still very influenced by industry interests, but like how do we get more oversight from a more objective body? We're living in a a world of humans. There's no truly unbiased, completely objective source, But I think that one of the key steps we can take is to push for more, just more oversight and things like the Fabric Act that have just gotten introduced in the federal government in the U.S. The EU just released a circular textile strategy to help clean up the industry a bit. Really, legislation like that is the first step that we need to be taking to clean up the industry because brands will do whatever they can get away with. These industry groups will get away with whatever they can possibly get away with. Policy is really the only way that I see to make these huge changes. I think at the end of the day, push for legislation. And you can do that with a group like Remake. Remake is an incredible advocacy organization 
in the United States. And also Clean Clothes Campaign, if you're based in Europe, is an incredible organization lobbying for a better fashion industry. But of course, we can't just stop there. I don't think that legislation solves everything. I think that we also need to just continue to educate ourselves and know that there are things that I thought were sustainable three years ago that now I view greenwashing. So like a conscious fashion journey, just like you know, an overall sustainable lifestyle journey, it evolves and you're going to learn along the way. And I think it's just really important to keep educating yourself and tuning in to podcasts like this one and maybe watching documentaries, following people on Instagram, whatever, and just trying to continue to educate yourself and keeping up that spidey sense that you talked about. If something sounds off, do deeper research. I would say to number one, if you've never contacted an elected official before. It's going to be really scary the first time you do it. But then once you do it, a floodgate opens and then you're going to do it all the time. If that's not for you, you can do a lot of things with regard to your own wardrobe that do make a difference. For me, I would say that prioritizing fit over trend has been really powerful for me. So prioritizing fit means buying things that fit me and or maybe getting them tailored so that they look great every time I put them on, regardless of what trends are going on. And then the other thing too is improving my own sewing knowledge. So my mom, big sewer, she would mend our stuff. She had a sewing room. (laughs) She had fabric up the wazoo. She would make stuff, mend stuff. And that is a skill that we as a culture are losing. That's not something that's passed down. What happened to home ec, by the way? (laughs) So prioritize fit, get in touch with your own sewing literacy. Those are my best thoughts. If you want to work within your own closet, you don't want to call anybody, you don't want to email, you don't want to make waves. I understand. Do you have any other thoughts for action steps that listeners can take with regard to circularity in fashion? Yeah, I love that. I love that point about sewing literacy. That sort of brings me to what I would say, which is find your own unique voice and role in the movement. And one of our contributing writers on Conscious Life and Style, Stella, wrote a fabulous piece on how to find your role in the sustainable fashion movement that I think is really helpful. Basically, it takes Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth's framework of how to find your role in the climate movement, which is figure out where the need is, what you're good at, and I believe what you have the skills for. Basically, what are you passionate about and where is there a need? You don't have to do everything. There are so many ways to get involved. I think that the options are really limitless. You just have to find what you're passionate about and where there's a need and find that connection. We all have skills. And if we all take our skills and apply them to the best of our abilities, that's where change comes. And so thank you so much for giving me 52 minutes of your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie, and asking such fantastic questions. Listeners, that's a wrap. I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Elizabeth Joy. If you listen to our conversation, if you've made it this far and you are amped up, rip-roaring, ready to make some change, I have linked to the Fabric Act in this week's show notes. You can go right there right now. 
There's a script for you to follow. It will take you one minute as you contact your elected representatives to push for change. That is your action step today. Message me on social media or email me after you do it so I can give you a virtual high five. I will see you on Tuesday. We've got another interview coming up on Tuesday in which we are talking about ways in which we can make family game night more minimalist, more fun, less stressful, and overall have more opportunities to make memories. So I will see you on Tuesday. Have an amazing weekend. As always, please reach out if you need me. I love hearing from you and take care.